CoinWorld Plus is your new way to collect, manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinWorld Plus at CoinWorldPlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store. Welcome to the CoinWorld Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Well, we're back once again with the Coin World Podcast. Glad to have you back along for the ride here as we go through the month of August. I'm Larry Jewett. And I'm Jeff Stark. And boy, are we excited to be back. Uh, we are rested, maybe, from the big A&A show last week. We want to uh, thank everybody who stopped by and uh, said hello and that, and that took time to speak with us as we wandered the bourse. Uh, we're excited because we got to reconnect with Carla Hoffman, who you'll hear from uh, a little bit later. Um, yeah. What, what do you think about your, not your first a show, but um, this year's show, it really felt like, uh, you know, the old times again, if, if, if you will. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was just like the last year it was because as my first show and coming back, off the pandemic and all the everything that was uh, connected to it, the fact it was in a totally different hall, and I didn't know that wasn't the usual hall. It was a, a little more Spartan last year, and so consequently, when you walked into the show this year, it was like, okay, this is more like it here with some carpeted aisles and and more uh, more bright and cheery. The fact that the, uh, the the international presence was there that was sorely lacking last year. One of the big things to me was last year, because of the hall it was in, all the educational exhibits had to be off into a separate room. And a lot of times folks didn't even know they were there. And the same thing happened with the clubs last year. They were up in that same room. And if you didn't know what you were looking for, you would easily bypass them. Well, this year, everybody was out on the same floor. It was an expansive floor. But I mean, just the idea that you could look around and you could see the things. And uh, I, I think it was very well structured. I mean, far from perfect. And we'll be getting into that a little bit later on here. But far from perfect, but certainly uh, comparably speaking from my perspective, not so much from some of the others, but from my perspective, it was a more pleasant show, a, a more show, a show more conducive to doing business, to making connections to uh, going to meetings, going to lectures. I had a great time going to the ones that I went to. But getting the opportunity, you know, say what you will about, uh, you know, the activities that we have. But for the most part, there's no substitute for face-to-face. -face. And that's why it was intensely gratifying to be at the Coin World booth and have folks come up to him. Matteo, who recently had reached out to us on the email, came up to the booth. It was good to see him. Also, uh, uh, Mr. Tinley came by. Uh, mm -hmm. Not uh, I'm not talking uh, Brandon from Tinley Park either. So you know, just oh. a few of the folks that I remember coming by and talking to us, and not just for the podcast. We had uh, an opportunity to meet with some of the clubs and uh, uh, just so some of our future guests that came by, and it's just just getting the chance to spend just a few minutes with a few folks. It gave us also a chance to talk to people who are subscribers to the magazine or who listen to the podcast and, and get their suggestions because, you know, these all these products that we have in our Coin World portfolio are built on the reader, on the listener, on that. And, and we want to be as receptive as we can be to suggestions, to ideas, to, you know, you and I brainstorm quite a bit on some ideas, trying to make them happen. The Coin World Annual didn't quite make it out in time for the ANA show, but it made it just on the last day of the show. We uh, have it posted up uh, for those of you who are digital subscribers. You've gotten it. Those in the mail, hopefully you'll have it very soon. And, you know, my fingers are crossed. I'm going to be haunting the bookstores to buy some for my uh, for my relatives, but uh, you know, just the idea. There's a lot of momentum in a positive way. Seeing the mint, seeing and meeting the mint director for me was a great thing. Uh, seeing Nemo, the submersible for the uh, SS Central America, um, just keep swimming. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Talking to Tom Kessel, who put together the Matt Proof Gold set. Just you know, for me, a lot of great, uh, great things happening there, and, and certainly 
does build some enthusiasm for upcoming events like Long Beach and for the Whitman Coin Expo. But you and I both did this. They put us down in the area where we were right next to Whitman Publishing. And so I had a little splaining to do once I got to the airport with a uh, with a bag that was borderline overweight, but uh, I did make it. So I, you know, I offered to ship it home for you. I I, I, I loaded down my car. <laughs> well, I, I know. I mean, I know now how much Mega Red weighs. So it just the idea that uh, you know a lot of lot of positive things there, and and I know everybody had their own take on the show, and those of you who were there, hopefully you had a as positive an experience as you could. Um, and again, it was a, a great pleasure seeing a lot of you folks. Yeah, I you know especially for me this year was great because I had had to miss last year uh, with the surgery and then of course 2020 there was no show so it was really great to get back in the saddle again. Now yeah I I'd seen some of the folks uh, internationally at um, either the fun shows. Um, in January or July or the New York International in January, but uh, definitely, definitely had a great time, even bought a few things. Uh, my One of my specialties or areas of interest is modern UK coinage. I got a couple sets, um, year sets, and, uh, you know, a few other fun little pieces. Uh, uh, found a German East Africa coin that, um, you know, it, it was identified on the two by two as Austria, but I looked at it right away and I'm like, nope, just because the denomination is Heller or two Heller or whatever, uh, that doesn't mean it's Austria. So that was fun. Um, you know, uh, and, and as you noted, the, uh, the, <laughs> the Whitman bargain sale, uh, next door, <clears throat> got a few things. Uh, our colleague Brenda was like, "Hey, why don't you get this? Your um, your nephew would like this, so maybe uh, maybe some of those things will make it that way." Um, you know, I don't know. We we had a lot of folks that we um, we're excited to line up for the podcast. Were um, you know, it, for me, it's sort of the bridge to uh, you know. Between now and you know the next big show, it's it's a nice um, point to to make those connections, reconnections for the first time in several years. We had uh, uh, Austrian mint dinner and uh, the French mint reception that I am usually invited to, so that was fun. See all these folks from around the globe that uh, come to the ANA to do business to reconnect. And um, I've always said it's it's a great place to make new friends and catch up with longtime friends, and that was certainly the case this time around. Yeah, and we would be remiss, though, if we didn't point out the fact that it wasn't all perfect. It wasn't all great. There were instances of crime that occurred uh, during that, of course, with them being ongoing investigations and, uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter that has to be done when something like that happens. We're really not at liberty to talk too much about that, but there were instances, as there tends to be at just about any show, where there may have been better security or may have been better uh, activity by the dealers themselves that would have prevented it. I mean, crime prevention is a big step here. And hopefully in the very near future, we'll try to make a connection with Doug Davis from the Numismatic Crime Information Center and talk a little bit about that. And uh, I mean, they, they make efforts to kind of get everybody safe and get everybody through that. But it seems like that uh, the crime is on the increase, not just in coin shows, but in other gatherings like that. So it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's beware. That's what you have to do. But there were instances, and it's going to be a subject we're going to be talking about for some time in the future ahead. So just be be wary of that, whether you're a dealer, whether you're participating in a show in some way. But, you know, you be careful out there, kind of like they, what they used to say at Hill Street Blues. So we'll try to keep on top of that with both the podcast and with our Coin World coverage throughout as we're dedicated to assisting uh, to make this community a better community in any way that we possibly can here. So I want to point out that, you know, last year, of course, the show was in Rosemont as it was again this year, but next year it's going to finally get its chance to get back to Pittsburgh. So I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what that's going to be like. I know the folks at uh, PAN are really excited about what's going to be happening there. And, uh, 
you know, congratulations to everybody who picked up an award at the uh, show, and uh, we can count ourselves among them. So, you know, I, I was always told that if you don't brag on yourself, nobody else is going to. But we don't have to go overboard here. But for me, it was a first. For you, it was a second. So congratulations. The uh, Numismatic Literary Guild recognized the Coin World podcast as best audio presentation. So, Jeff, congratulations on being a two-timer. Uh, you know, that's the only time I want to be called the two-timer. <laughs> but uh, it was nice to receive that recognition from folks in the hobby in the industry. And it's, uh, but it's, you know, the the real reward, and you know, it's so cliche, but the real reward really is to have all the people that messaged us during the hiatus saying, Hey, where are you guys? We, we missed you. Um, and then the folks saying, Hey, you're back. That's awesome. That, you know, um, so many folks have, have been, have done one or the other, or frankly, both. And we appreciate it because this is, this is a labor of love and it's, it's a chance to, you know, a lot of times, I think through some of what I think about or what I, how I experience the hobby just as, as we're doing the show. So it's, um, it, it helps give me a better perspective and appreciation for the fact that everybody is on their own journey and we, we want to try to meet them where they are. So, uh, congratulations, Larry. It wouldn't be, wouldn't have been possible without you, without Chris, uh, without Brian, we, we miss Chris and Brian, but, uh, Larry and I are going to be here and keep pushing it forward. Yeah. And one of the other things I want to mention here too, is uh, we talked about how it gives you an opportunity to meet people. And, uh, you know, I meeting Chris Bullfinch is on my bucket list. I still haven't had that opportunity, but meeting Steve Roach was something that I got a chance to do. And I got a chance to sit in on a couple of sessions found out that Steve and I are both turtle lovers. So that was pretty cool to me. So just the idea that uh, some entertaining presentations were made there. So uh, being in on Scott Travers presentation with David Hall and Maurice Rosen, that was a lot of fun. And we uh, had a couple of them that Steve put together and, and those were very informative and fun as well. So I heartily encourage anyone who's interested um, I kind of hope that maybe Ben Franklin kind of steps up next year and since we're going back to Pennsylvania. So we'll see what, uh, what the future is going to bring. But if you get the opportunity, certainly uh, you need to make your way so that you can enjoy these activities that we have right here. But uh, we're glad to be back here with the podcast right now. But I mentioned Ben Franklin because, you know, that's one of those historic figures that means a lot to us here. But uh, so let's take a look back into history itself as we go back in time here with our This Week in Numismatic History. And I'm kind of lazy this week. I'm going to let you do some work. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I always enjoy the delving back into the history. So I <laughs> I went looking and found uh, a couple things on August 24th that just, well, one of them made me chuckle. One of them is uh, not funny and it's certainly a reminder of you talk about the uh, multiple thefts that were that occurred at the rosemont location this year uh, on august 24th 1978 uh, a similar theft happened uh and it's it's interesting to note you know that Yes, it feels like there's an increasing amount of security issues with the shows, but security has always been an issue, um, you know, as far as it's always been some, it's always something about which collectors and dealers have to be concerned, right? Well, <clears throat> what happened in this particular nugget of history was thieves hit the rooms. So thieves broke into the rooms of people that were attending the ANA that year at the Astro Village Hotel. I'm assuming with the word Astro, the show was in Houston, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, Astro Village Hotel. When did this happen? This was during the well-attended Society of Bearded Numismatist soiree. So, you know, I'm sure that people at the meeting heard about the thefts and said, you SOB. Well, no, the SOBs were the Society of Bearded Numismatist. 
and and I was for a long time I was ineligible to be a member. Uh, I am since moving back to St. Louis uh, now thus eligible, having grown a beard, and um, you know, thankfully, <clears throat> I have. Uh, uh, I did not have anything taken from my room during the show. Uh, it would feel like such a violation and such a, um, you know, th- there would be so much anger. Uh, and, and like I say, that violation, that feeling of not being safe. Um, but I found that interesting that, okay, you know, we're looking back 44 years now and, and that was, what happened back then. Interestingly, the, the, the thing that made me chuckle was also on that date in 1967, as Fred Reed describes this for the week that was column that appeared in coin world back in the day, quote, Abby Hoffman and other hippie radicals tossed dollar bills from the New York stock exchange visitors gallery to create mayhem on the trading floor below quote. Now, I, that's not really numismatic in nature. I, I mean, okay, dollar bills or you know, Federal Reserve notes, whatever. Uh, but I did find that funny that um, you know they're they're being described as hippie radicals, and uh, they're they're trying to disrupt the. They did disrupt the New York Stock Exchange, but um, you know, I can't imagine anything like that happening now could i could you (laughs) don't plant any seeds here shall we i mean i'm just sitting here thinking what it would have been like if they'd have been throwing morgans at them you know so just like banging them with the with a coin instead of a bill so just yeah that's a weird scenario right there but that's six almost that's 55 years ago so you know well i happened i i've joked you know people talk about um you know, throwing dollar bills at a gentleman's club establishment, making it rain in here. I said, yes, I'm going to take dollar coins. You've heard of making it rain. I'm going to make it hail. (laughs) All hail. (laughs) Yeah. So, so anyway, that was this week in numismatic history. Um, You know, it's, it's probably a good time to, transition to this week in coin world history and uh, we looked at the august 20th 2018 issue 2018 i believe was the first year that our interview subject carla hoffman attended a summer seminar if not it certainly um you know she's she was very active around that time so let's just go with it the the story that i found most fun and interesting on the cover i'm sure you know about which i speak was our our colleague paul joke's story about mcdonald's tokens to celebrate the big mac anniversary and for those who maybe weren't paying attention at the time or somehow failed to um you know be I mean, I think with billions and billions served, a lot of people go to McDonald's, whether they want to admit it or not. And um, in 2018, to mark the 50th anniversary of the Big Mac, they had five different tokens that you could you buy a Big Mac and you got a token this during this limited time window and you could redeem the token later for another Big Mac. Well, you know, collectors being what they are, they want to put together a set of the five tokens. And so you buy the sandwich and you consume it and you're left with a token. And then you have to trade it with somebody else. Maybe if you have, you know, if your store or the stores you went to, the restaurants didn't have the the all five tokens out at the same time there was a lot of trading activity online people selling buying and selling them online um and every once in a while since then i found a couple of them in not you know like dollar bin type stuff and i grab them just because it's a fun little piece and uh, i'd like to put together a couple sets i have one full set but i'd like to put together a couple more and, uh, you know, there's the intersection of numismatics and fast food and, 
uh, you know, popular culture like this. There's so many pieces out there. There's there was a chain here. I, I don't know if it was nationally, but Burger Chef they had their own little tokens. You can you often see Dairy Queen, uh, twenty five cents, good for twenty five cents for a free Sunday. That was like from way back in the day, but um, I, I, you know, th- there's there's lots of cool stuff out there like that, that material culture that is, is not meant to last in a sense. And it, it's just neat to, to review it, look at it as um, artifacts of popular culture and uh, you know, the rising, the rise of restaurants, fast food restaurants. I mean, we didn't have that till, you know, post-World War II and, and the baby boom and that, that big influx of, of population and, and the, um, the interstate highway and all these, there were so many factors that collided, right. You know, whether it was, I want to say refrigeration technology that was earlier, but you know, some of these things became possible and, uh, you know, this is a way to track changing American history. So all that, I got all that from a Big Mac token. That was the big story on the front page that, that uh, excited me anyway. Well, that reminds me a little bit of a story that appears in the TAMS Journal of uh, July, August of 2022 by Dan Rizzo talking about instant winner tokens from like the Shell Oil Company back in 1968. And it's a very expansive article that uh, talks a lot about that. And, and well, well done. I mean, great, great color, great illustration. There's even a, a gateway arch token here for the Landmarks of America set. So I thought that would resonate with you a little bit there. But earlier we talked about dollar coins, and it seems kind of funny. As I'm going to actually depart from the uh, standard here as I look deeper into the August 20th, 2018 Coin World Edition and talk about what was also in the news. And I go to the editorial opinion written by William T. Gibbs, uh, our managing editor, who talked about the American Innovation and uh, the Native American Dollar Series, which was uh, coming up. Because it says, let me make it clear that the initial blame for the American Innovation Dollar Coin Dollar rests solely on Congress. The legislative branch of government authorized a new multi-year dollar coin series without asking the primary buyers of such items, collector customers of the U.S. Mint, whether they wanted such a program. Equally bad, Congress dictated the design details, including a shared obverse portrait of the Statue of Liberty and the collector-despised edge inscription. However, when it comes to the selection of the Statue of Liberty portrait for the first coin in the program, the blame falls squarely on the U.S. Mint. As Paul Jilks reports, that this week's edition, U.S. Mint officials selected a design that had already been used, the one that appeared on the reverses of the 2007 to 2016 presidential dollars. The Mint's quick solution to a Statue of Liberty design selection was poorly thought out. Officials should have anticipated that the collector community would reject the selection. The Citizens Coinage Advisory Committee strongly objects to the choice. As was reported, I doubt that many collectors will be any more forgiving. The choice seems to be based on nothing more than expediency. And that was in the August 20th, 2018 editorial. So to me, that was pretty insightful right there and tied into our previous discussion of dollar coins. So I'm happy to bring that along for the ride here. Cool. Well, I mean, let's see. What can we uh, talk about? How about let's get back to our trivia question that we had from last week, because it's been a while since I've been put to the test here and our listeners have been put to the test and hopefully they fared pretty well. So do you recall last week's trivia question? Yeah, we were um, because of the ANA, we had I, I had thought about, well, let's delve into the history of the ANA. And I wanted to know when the American Numismatic Association held its first convention, what year, and where was that convention held? So it's, uh, it's a two-parter. Uh, and I did, as you may remember, give you a little hint in saying that, oh yes, the I remember that the Centennial show was celebrated in, and 
you know, I wasn't going to give away the year of the centennial because, duh, if yeah. you can subtract a hundred, then there you go. But uh, and you were like, oh, okay, well, that at least tells me it's been more than a hundred years. But that doesn't exactly answer the question, either question. So, do you know when that show was and where was it held? Well, I, the awards banquet on Friday night was the 131st annual. So by math, I'm going to go with 1891, and I believe it was right there in Chicago. It was. It was. And, um, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I said you can, uh, for bonus points, you can name all the people that were present in the, um, in the first uh convention it turns out there do you do you have any idea how many folks attended the first a and a convention i'm gonna maybe 500 uh you're you're just a bit outside um there were 31 members present or represented by proxy at the first convention in chicago Guests could sign up to be members of the ANA if they paid an initiation fee of 50 cents, filled out a form, and had two members sign it. So this is according to the ANA website itself, money.org slash a whole bunch of, you know, the convention history. Uh, and so you can delve deeper into that if you want. Uh, there are There's stuff online about this. 50 cents, that's, uh, that's a lot. Um, I mean, that was a lot of money then, but... Um, you know, it looks like a bargain in retrospect, but Hey, even the membership now is kind of a bargain because you get access to the library and you get, uh, you know, free access to the show and half an hour earlier admission to the show than, than the regular public, the general public, the hoi polloi. So, um, yeah. And, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things online as well that, uh, you know, learning classes and the ANA, it's certainly well worth it. Um, and it's always good. It's, it always amazes me that there's so many folks who are, they're just pure collectors and they're there on their own vacation time, on their own money, on their own dime because they want to reconnect. And and we met several of those folks and, and, and uh, you know, it's that, that sort of, I don't want to say warms my heart. That's so cheesy but you know it's so neat that there's folks that are uh, into the hobby at that level and and it's just it's just a fun thing and it's a priority and uh, wherever the show is they make a point to be there and i know i'm looking forward to going to pittsburgh next year indeed all right so i managed to get that one what you got for me well, you know our discussion with carla focuses uh on women in the hobby. And so I wanted to think about uh, a question that was related. And, uh, you know, one that made sense to me was who was the first female mint director? It's, it's also, hmm. that, that's a very timely question in the sense that uh, director Ventress Gibson uh, was at the ANA and she is uh, currently Mint director and one of just a, a small number of, of women who've been director of the mint. And, um, you know, so, so put your thinking hat on and who was the first director? It's uh, Gibson director. Gibson is not the first. Um, so uh, as far as first female mint director, um, the, there was a long line of, of uh, guys at, at the top of the mint from founding back in the day, uh, Rittenhouse being the first, right? David Rittenhouse. Um, so, and so we, I've given you the first and you know, the current, but I need to know now who was that first female mint director and, uh, 38 in between them. So, you know. so, so think about that as you listen to our interview with Carla uh, we had a, a blast catching up with her at the show and then talking with her um, for this. Uh, and you'll get to hear her perspective on collecting and being a woman in the hobby and, and all that. Uh, here that is. 
We are delighted today at the Coin World Podcast to be speaking with Carla Hoffman, a name uh, that may be familiar to some Coin World readers uh, because of her involvement, past involvement with women in numismatics, and she has been featured in at least a story in the print issue in the past few years. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, hey, we uh, were so delighted. It was so great to catch up with you uh, at the show last week in, I always say Chicago-ish, because Rosemont's not really Chicago, but it's close enough. Um, and, um, you know, it was a surprise to see you. It was nice to see you. Um, and it got me thinking, hey, you know, here's somebody who's younger. I don't know that you qualify as a young numismatist anymore if the cutoff is 18 years. I don't really know how, how we define that, but you're certainly. No, 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 no. <laughs> but but you're certainly uh, a younger numismatist and you've, you've been involved for more than half your life, I think. So um, and, and you had fun at the show, I think. So it. I just thought, hey, let's talk to you and see, hear your story, hear you got involved, how you got involved, I should say, and uh, how you got reintroduced to the hobby recently and, and where you're going maybe and, and your thoughts on some things. Um, as I understand, you began uh, your introduction to coin shows with the, was with the Florida United Numismatist show, and and you were a page there. Uh, when did that happen? Can you talk about um, how you got involved, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so um, I started going to shows when I was around 11 or 12, and honestly, I really didn't care for them. Um, but I figured out that I could make a lot of money if I paged. So I paged and um, I never missed a show. I was there at every fun show. A lot of dealers remember me from that time. Um, and that's kind of how I got introduced. And a lot of times dealers would tip me in coins. So I started a small collection. And if I saw something cool, I'd pick it up on the floor. Um, and that was kind of what introduced me to the hobby and introduced me to the most people. Um, and then I saw the summer seminar and that fun had a scholarship for it. I was about 17 when I went and I honestly wasn't expecting much. Um, I wasn't sure if coins were what I was really passionate about, but um, I figured it was a free trip to Colorado and I'd never been there. So I went and I got the bug and I just became obsessed with it after that trip. So what was it at summer seminar that really resonated with you to give you the bug? Uh, it's hard to say. I think it was just um, being completely immersed in it is what really got me into it. Um, I, Growing up, I always wanted to be a writer, and so um, I took the numismatic publishing course with Steve and Dennis, and honestly, at that point, I saw the coin world as, um, no offense, but a bunch of boring old men, um, and I took their well, class. we are. What can we say? Yeah, well, <laughs> um, but I, I, I took I'm the class. Old, and but I, I'm not boring. I, yeah. I, I met a bunch of young people there and I kind of was like, oh, wow, I'm not the only young person in this hobby. And I met some really cool people out there and it introduced me to um, the fact that it's not just old men in this hobby and that there's more to it. And um, after taking Steve and Dennis's course, which was so much fun, it really kind of ignited that in me. You, Steve Roach, editor emeritus at Coin World, and Dennis Tucker, the yes. publisher at Women Publishing. I should clarify for those who don't know, both gentlemen and scholars uh, alike, Steve and how Dennis. How could you not? Uh, so I understand. <laughs> I can understand how you you would um, appreciate that time. Um, so that was several years ago. What what shape has your hobby participation taken? Uh, are you uh, are you collecting anything? I know for a time you were involved with women in numismatics, which is unfortunately um, closing at the end of this year. Um, where do things stand in that regard? Yeah, so I, um, after that seminar, I, 
I really got more into it and I was collecting. Um, and then I attended another seminar where I took um, photography with um, Rob Kelly and David Heinrich and meeting David Heinrich is how I got involved with Win. Um, at the end of that week, we kind of decided that I would do some writing and editing for Win, which was an amazing opportunity. Um, it is really disappointing that they are no longer, but there is still a need for women in numismatics. Don't worry. Um, but after doing that, um, I got another scholarship to go to summer seminar the next year and then um, COVID hit. And so that got pushed back over and over. And um, I kind of, I moved out of my parents' house and things started changing. And so numismatics kind of went to the back burner for a little while while I dealt with some personal things in my life. And then um, the scholarship popped up again and they're like, Hey, you're, you're still going, you know, you still have a scholarship. So I went again um, in June of this year to um, summer seminar and it really realized how much I had missed it. Awesome. What, what class did you take? I took um, coin grading one. I just wanted to go back to the basics, and it was really informative. I loved it. Awesome. I, you know, I'll admit to anyone who, you know, will listen that grading is is one of my weaker areas with the hobby. Oh, me too. Uh, how, yeah, how, how fun was that? How difficult was it for somebody, you know, who's, you know, you're not somebody who's been collected for 40 years, like, you know, maybe a lot of folks. Uh, what sort of things did you learn in that class? What sort of things did you realize you still need to learn? Um, I actually, I really think I picked up a lot based off the fact I didn't have like a strong basis in coin grading. And so going in with a fresh slate almost was really beneficial. I I did notice that some of the people in my class who were older and who had done coin grading before might have struggled a bit more than I did because they were trying to learn this and also go off of what they already knew. And so I was really mm -hmm. grateful that I didn't know much. And so I was just in there to learn and see what I could learn kind of a blank canvas yeah and I really learned a lot that week it, I felt like you know my first day I went in and I could maybe tell you a grade of a coin but it was not going to be confident and then without thinking about it my last night I was sitting with my friends at a table passing around coins talking about whether we agree with the grades and I was like did that just happen that happened so quickly <laughs> Yeah, the value of the immersive education experience, uh, immersive educational experience that summer seminar brings to folks. Yeah, for sure. And um, our our learning that week was based off of the photo grade, I, or I don't remember what website that is, but that was really helpful. Seeing those examples and then comparing what I'm holding to it and figuring it out that way. Awesome. So did, um, did, do you think you'll be heading back next year maybe to coin grading two or maybe one of the uh, pre-convention to like two day crash courses that the ANA does at a lot of shows? How, how are you going to take your uh, grading education to the next step? Honestly, I'm really not sure right now. Um, I do plan on applying for another scholarship. Um, unfortunately, I am no longer in Florida. So I might have to get a little creative with that. Um, well, as but, long as you're a member of FUN, I, I, I think it doesn't matter where you live, right? I'm not even sure if I'm a member still. I'll need to check on that. But either way, I do plan okay. on trying to get back to Colorado. I love it there, and I love seminar. It's, it's the most fun I have every year. Awesome. Uh, can you talk about maybe what... Um, what area of collecting are you looking at? Uh, U.S. coins, world coins, uh, paper money. Is there a particular uh, path that really excites you? Um, there have been a couple that I have kind of gravitated towards more than others, I would say. Um, I do really enjoy world paper and collecting world paper. It's just beautiful. And 
that's kind of what got me started in the beginning of my collecting journey. So, you know, it kind of holds a sweet spot for me. Um, I also really enjoy collecting hobo nickels. Those are really cool. Um, but more than anything, I just love learning about it and learning about all the different facets of coins and the history is just really interesting to me. Awesome. Can you talk about, um, you know, this in 2022, you went to summer seminar. Um, how many younger folks were there and did you, did you feel that sort of welcome from the, the younger group of folks, uh, that you seem to have had earlier? Yeah. So I was really, really nervous about going back. Um, It'd been almost, I think, three years since the last seminar, you know, and everything had changed. And so I, and I hadn't really been in the coin world, like, at all. You know, I hadn't been to a show in that long. So I was really nervous, but um, the first night for opening ceremonies, I, I was just so excited because I looked around the room and it was full of young people. There's so many young people, so many women and it was just more diversity than I'd ever seen there before. And that was really exciting to see. And, and, and I think that uh, you Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And while I was out there, um, I did find a group of collectors around my age. And we all, you know, kind of bonded instantly because we were the only ones. And I found myself with a pretty tight knit group of friends by the end of the week. And we still talk all the time. So that was also really great. Awesome. Now, I know one of the the things that you, excited you at the ANA was to sort of, you know, to meet a numismatic celebrity, and I don't mean Larry. Um, <laughs> uh, I I was, uh, you know, you 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 talk about the 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 number of uh, women involved in the hobby. And uh, you were so thrilled and excited to show me something that you got at the show that is sort of a representation of, of that change and that growth. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, I was just overjoyed to see um, our new director of the men, um, Ventress Gibson there because she's a woman and it, in this hobby, like as a woman, it gets a little lonely when you look around and it's just um, totally dominated by men. And it was just really exciting to see her there and to talk to her and to see that like little hint of change of like, we are in this hobby too. Yeah. And, and the one thing I think that is exciting about director Gibson is, you know, she brings a, a wealth of leadership experience running, um, you know, organizations and all that. So, you know, this is not somebody who's, um, you know, this is not a political appointment to, to make a, a, a donor happy or something. This is somebody that actually, you know, has run businesses in a sense. If you look at, uh, you know, running uh, an agency with multi-million dollar budgets and all that. Um, so, you know, you, you, you held up, uh, the director Gibson was signing things and posing for photos with everybody. What did, what did you get to commemorate that, uh, moment in time? Oh yeah. She gave me a little autograph card where she wrote girl power. And then she also, I don't know if I showed you this, Jeff, but she also gave me the newest collection of quarters featuring women. And that was really cool too. Oh, awesome. Yeah. My Angelo, Dr. Sally Ride, um, Man Killer. Yep. <laughs> yes. I've actually received a couple of the Man Killer quarters in circulation now. So I have too, um, yeah. You know, that's going to. Uh, and But you're in Michigan. I want. Did you. Are you finding uh, P Mint coins there? I found a few, yeah. Or have you paid attention? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have. And I have seen some, yeah. And and is that now that now has to be the locus of your collection, right? You have to build build a new uh, collection of of these circulating coins. Oh yeah, and she um she's telling me about how they're going to continue releasing them. So I'm really excited to see the ones that come out in the future. 
So what can the hobby do to be more open and uh, friendly to folks, regardless of their background, regardless of their station in life, no matter, you know, what, whatever they bring to the table that um, makes them them. Um, but, you know, in, in your case, a, a younger woman, is there, is there something that uh, the hobby I, needs to be doing differently? I think, honestly, it just needs to be more accessible because um, – I, I don't really think that there's a lot of resources for young people to go out and find the world of numismatics. Um, I think almost every person I've talked to who is into it um, was passed down by a grandfather or a parent or whatever it is, and that's great, but it only goes so far. Um, and I mean, we need young people to continue our hobby. And I think the next step I feel is just getting resources online and just making them more accessible so that people can do the research on their own and catch the bug themselves. Yeah. And I think Abby Zekman said it best last year at the ANA World's Fair of Money when she said, you can't expect the young numismatists to, uh, to fish, basically fish in your pond. You've got to go where they are. You've got to develop ways to make them interested. And I think that's exactly what needs to be done here is we've got to take the hobby to them. It may not be passed down generation to generation, but there's still a lot of excitement that can be found by that. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think another thing is when you enter this hobby and you see it, you know, even the way I saw it, I went to a coin show and it was a bunch of old guys and I was a little taken aback. Like, well, I don't know if this is what I want to do. If this is a demographic until I went to summer seminar and saw that I was not the only one. And, you know, I think if we just have like more of that representation, more outreach towards the younger generation who are getting into it, it, it will do better for the hobby. And I yeah. think you're right on that because that's what like director Gibson has pointed out lots of times that, uh, you know, the future is with the younger people. And that's why there were a lot of things for even uh, younger age individuals over at the mint. And she's, uh, you know, collecting for her grandchildren, that type of thing. So it's just the idea that, you know, when we talked about women before, there's been a new, in addition to having a female treasurer, a female secretary of the treasury, a female mint director, we now have a, uh, within days, we're going to have a new deputy director at the mint. And that's another female that's going to be there. And with the uh, the the women, the five women that we release each year on the quarters, you can start to see there really is ways of developing opportunities for those who are interested. Because these quarters are going to resonate with people. They're going to see people that are like them, not just dead presidents, for lack of a better term. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I moved to Michigan little over a year ago now and as I'm you know making new friends and stuff and they're learning more about me it's always kind of that pause where it's like you're a coin collector how old are you um but the more <laughs> I talk about it with my friends they're actually getting really into it with me and you know every once in a while I'll get a text like hey look at this cool coin I just saw and that's also really exciting um with these new quarters you know more people are getting interested in it because it's something more relatable Awesome. And, and I know that, you know, and I've said this to Larry personally, I think I've said it on the podcast before, you know, whatever hobby somebody engages in, whether that's, um, you know, muscle cars or um, coins or whatever, you know, the, the best things, the fun things, the things we're all looking for is that connection with people and, and feeling like we have a sense of belonging. And I think, as you have already noted, the seeing other people like um, ourselves, you know, that helps to feel like, oh, this is a, a space that's welcoming to, to me and people like me. And, um, you know, indeed you feel like you, it's, it's a hobby where you belong, uh, as opposed to some place where you might stick out or, uh, not fit in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, almost every year that I've gone to, um, summer seminar, my first day, I always meet another young woman and we always kind of see each other and just be like, okay, we're together now because there's no one else like us. Um, <laughs> cool. And, and there, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, it would help if there are a couple more of us, but we're working on it. 
cool. And there's no one else like you. Thank you so much for being here today. Hopefully um, that was informative and inspirational and, and all that for somebody who's listening and maybe um, wants to get more involved. There are a lot of avenues for somebody to do that. You've shown that with Summer Seminar and the clubs and writing. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So that was our interview with Carla Hoffman. Uh, we appreciate her taking the time to speak with us and share her experience for everyone out there in podcast land. Indeed, it's uh, very informative. It's always nice to talk about uh, what your journey is all about here. And, and certainly her journey is unique to her own. I mean, like some of the comments about how she got started here and, uh, you know, that you, some of you can relate to exactly what she went through right there. Some of you, of course, it was a little different and we're all different in these uh, these places here. We're different in our interests. We're different in our uh, path to get to where we are here. And we're different in our objectives to where we're trying to get with this. But uh, nonetheless, that's what part of the reason for the existence of the Coin World podcast is so that we can educate and we can inform too, because uh, many of you may not have met this young lady, but she uh, certainly uh, now is uh, someone that you know and someone that you may want to meet in the future. And that's why we bring on our guests here, because they have something to contribute that uh, you may find a liking to. So we appreciate Carla taking the time to talk to us for this and wish her well on her journey. Absolutely. And we wish you well. Um, and if there's if you have any questions, if you have uh, I mean, it was just a delight to talk to people and they would, hey, what do you think about this and, and all that? We're always, you know, we're all in this together. We're all walking each other home, as I think it was Ram Dass says and, uh, said. And, um, you know, everybody has something to contribute and experience that can help somebody else. And, and uh, that's part of you know the awards are nice that that's an external validation that's a you know that says that the industry pays attention but uh, we want to pay attention to you and and give you that feedback and interaction and uh, again all we can do is say thank you uh, for being with us this week and every week uh, back from the beginning to whenever in the future and uh, wherever you joined us in the journey. Uh, so until next time though, happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the coin world podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. Coin world plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinWorld Plus at CoinWorld